Chaplin. <laughs> Welcome to the market. Hi. Go ahead and park it. Hope that you are starving. Debbie Roots Deep got me thinking it's a parsnip. Every week I get knowledge to go. A year before everyone, how did they know? Figuring how they go college to pros. I pop it on listen and now I'm the pro. I'm still trying to grow. And they do the same. Hundreds of teams, too many to name. And yet they are filtering everything. Only the best, Shane Hallaman Kane. Marketplace, marketplace. Debbie is everything, marketplace. Finding the talent is art, I'd say. I leave it to them while I carve my name. Market Marketplace, marketplace, Debbie is everything marketplace Finding the talent is art, I'd say I leave it to them while I carve my name, Hey, Welcome, welcome, welcome everyone, this is not Kane This is uh, Shane here with you Kane has the flu, which is uh, sad So no, no Kane on the, on the main podcast today um, So if you're listening to this and you want to wish him well Go to our Discord, you can find the link uh, in our pinned comment on our Twitter account for this podcast, or DM me, Shane P. Allen, or Kane, and then give it to you. And then go into uh, just our fantasy football discussion. Just tag Kane and say get well soon. Even if uh, even if you listen to it like a month, a year later, just just do that. I just want to see like get well soon's for the next like year of people just go in there. So hop hop in there and um, you know and, and tell them to get well. Hopefully it's nothing bad, but. Uh, instead, I am joined by uh, our analytics guru. Can I call you a guru? Uh, I think Kane would prefer if you called me a nerd. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah look, he, he, he I think he, he told he told me secretly. He's like, you got to call Nelly a nerd at some point. But <laughs> uh, Michael Nelson, uh, uh, Nelly ticks. Um, dude, I can't. I can never say me neither. Handle just you, say you don't analytics. even know how to say it. Do you? No, and, but but like but then people will be like, well, how do I how do I like type that out? Like, what do I yeah? For? But, uh, but Nelly is here, and um, so we're, so we're gonna do kind of an analytics focused show and talk about what he looks for from an analytical standpoint of these rookies going to the NFL, um, and you know maybe touch on some players fairly quickly. Nelly, how how you doing today? How's how's life uh, in DC, right? That's where it's where you're at right now. Yeah, it's nice and warm here in DC. I'll tell you what that that welcome, welcome, welcome are gonna, is going to fool some people. That was quality. Oh, like, um, I try try to get my voice a little, you know, I try to scoop <laughs> it a little bit. So I hope I hope I hope there's some cognitive dissonance between <laughs> between this, and hopefully this goes better than the last time I hosted, and we had like Felix on, and I was like, man, this is this is harder than it seems. So I'm going to try to try to try to do better here. Um, but yeah, let, let's, let's dig in. And if you, uh, if you join our, our secret shoppers program on the discord, you can get all Nelly's uh, analytics and charts and things. And he's posted an update and stuff, but I actually want to kind of get an idea of what, um, you know, what, what kind of things that you look for in each of these positions, statistically, uh, what stats do you use? How, how can we kind of predict, um, you know, how these players are going to be in the NFL for fantasy and what information do we still need in this process? We're here in late February. So let's start with the quarterbacks because that's you know, super flex leagues. That's the most important. That's what we're looking at. Um, just tell me kind of your process of, of evaluating quarterbacks analytically and what uh, what that looks like. Sure. So we're definitely starting with the hardest first. Quarterbacks are incredibly complex i mean the nfl isn't good at evaluating them they hit at like a 50 percent rate um we as a fantasy community also aren't that good it's pretty similar 50 percent rate so 
honestly, I think the best thing to do is lean into that uncertainty and accept the fact that, hey, we're probably not that good at at predicting as a whole if this quarterback is going to be good. And so the way that I counter that is I say, well, what can we predict within each quarterback? Like, what are there factors within a quarterback skill set or production that is more predictive? And rushing production from the college to the NFL level is extremely predictive. It's one of the most predictive things that I've found in uh, in sports. It, it produces an R squared of of over 0.6, which which is um, for those of you familiar with that, it's it basically means the variance of each uh, individual um, person in the sample is predicted 0.6 out of the time. So that's a long way of saying it. That's very good. So essentially what I look for is a high rushing market share in college um, because that translates very well. And then we see that that's important as well in fantasy football. Scoring is skewed right now to reward rushing quarterbacks as well. So it's kind of a, it, it, it's very, very important to look at from my perspective. And I think you're you're someone who, um, through our conversations, has really convinced me from a fantasy end that, like Malik Willis is pretty much the 101 in Superflex, right? Because of what you're saying, because of this predictive rushing, like we you know we have Matt Corral and Kenny Pickett and Sam Howell, all three quarterbacks that are expected to go around. Desmond Ritter, I'll throw in there too, expected to go top 50. Um, who all have some athletic ability, all have shown some rushing. Guys like Ritter and um, Hal this year really had more of that rushing yardage. Um, but like, it, is Willis kind of on another level in terms of that rushing production? You say, hey, this is fairly predictive of what he's going to do in the NFL. That's what's kind of convinced me like there's a floor here, no matter how bad he is at playing quarterback. Fantasy wise, he's scoring points. Is that is that accurate? Yeah, absolutely. His, um, I think, uh, I believe that his rushing market share in college is second out of first round quarterbacks behind only Lamar Jackson in the past uh, ten to twelve years. Uh, I believe that's correct. I, I can't one hundred percent say. I don't have the numbers in front of me right now, but I'm pretty sure that's true. So yeah, it's it's another level. Um, and I will say, I, w- I do want to add on, because this is a conversation I've had regarding prospects like Sam Howell, who you might not think are super athletic, but have rushed a lot and have been productive, or uh, a counterpoint with a Debbie prospect that that a lot of us know in Bryce Young, where we, we know he's athletic, but he isn't rushing. Um, it's almost, from my perspective, it's almost as important to have a desire to run and have shown a propensity to run in the past as it is to have the actual ability to like, no matter how athletic you are, if you don't pull the ball down and run, um, you're not like at the NFL level, you're not getting points for that athleticism that you're looking for. Yeah. Cause I mean, the amount of quarterbacks that get designed runs, right. But <laughs> like how many quarterbacks actually have that happen? It's, it's, it's gotta be fairly rare. I mean, Lamar Jackson, we know, and guess what? Lamar Jackson did that all the time in college. Um, you know, Jalen hurts to an extent. And I think, he, I think even a lot of his rushes are not scripted out in Eagles offense every once in a while, but nothing like, 
you know, not a lot. Um, and and I think your point with Sam Howell is interesting because in the Senior Bowl game, I think we saw that he, you know, he was under pressure. The offensive line's the Senior Bowl. It, it, it's tough to play offensive line in that game. And this is one of the best front seven classes pass rushing we've seen. So all the quarterbacks are under pressure all the time. Um, and I mean, Sam Howell's like, all right, I'm going to do what I did in North Carolina when I had no line. And he starts taking off and running, you know, eight yards, 10 yards, finding chunks of yardage, even though, yeah, he, he's not Malik Willis. He's not Jalen Hurts. Um, so it seems, I think, it, I think it makes sense to me where I, as a NFL draft analyst, right. I'm not like giving him major props for his rushing ability. Uh, you know, that, that's not upping his grade for me, but the fact that he's shown that, Hey, he's willing to kind of put the offense on his back and like pick up this first down and put himself in harm's way is a step to doing that in the NFL. Cause we definitely have had NFL quarterbacks who could move, be a little more gun shy about, you know, taking off and running only when they really need to. I know it was a, and, and maybe the numbers don't back me up here, but I remember Russell Wilson early in his career, you know, fantasy players were like, please run more. You know, we, we just want you, we know you can, you're just not doing it. Um, and I'm hopeful that we see CJ Stroud and Bryce Young start to run more in year two. Now maybe open up the offense a little bit. We could see that a little bit uh, similar to what Justin Fields did at Ohio state. I know I'm definitely hoping for CJ Stroud to be able to do that. Um, but no, I mean, it's super interesting. Do you think you're going to be higher on Howell because of that in terms of rookie drafting in terms of, you know, even like Debbie trading because you think, Hey, he, you know, he could be a guy that runs for, 200 yards you know it runs for a couple touchdowns because he can take off um yeah i would say i think i'll be higher based on uh where at least my perception of the market is i think he's probably a mid to late first right now and i would take him ahead of that but that's also assuming that i think right now there's a little bit of a worry with his draft capital and so that's factored in as well um it, to the market's price of maybe being a little bit low on him. So we'll see. Like uh, like you said, I'm I I don't think that he's Lamar Jackson in terms of his rushing ability. I just I'm pretty confident that he's not going to be a zero in rushing contributions at the next level. And that means something. Uh and then real quick then we'll move to running back. What what about like passing wise is there something that we should look at that can help us you know, maybe take these quarterbacks um, and where they need to go. Uh, and like, you know, is there anything that we can use to say, hey, this is this is a quarterback that's more likely to be successful throwing the football than than not, essentially? Yeah, so there's kind of, there's, a, there's an efficiency stat I use called adjusted yards per attempt, which just takes the adjusted, or it takes the regular yards per attempt and um, it adjusts it for touchdowns and interceptions. So that's how that weighting happens. Uh, a touchdown's worth seventy, or a touchdown's worth twenty-five yards, and interceptions worth forty yards. So and and um, so that's how they adjust that. And what that does is it measures efficiency. Now, it's not super sticky in terms of um, there's kind of like a baseline level that you look for, and then once you get above that, it's it's not telling of how good of a passer you are. It's just telling that you're a pretty solid passer. And I actually use this more to determine if it's like in Debbie, 
in Debbie evaluations in determining if a player can get draft capital in the future. Um, it's not as predictive for rookies being uh, good at the next level. But for example, like Daniel Jones had an extremely low adjusted yards per attempt number uh, coming out of college and like way below like that baseline level you'd look for to say that he's a competent passer. And I would say that has probably been proved correct. Yeah, I mean, that, I mean that makes sense. And I, I actually use some of your stuff. It's been a couple months now that for an article on draft capital, I'm predicting draft capital for quarterbacks, and I, th- I think it it worked pretty well. I think we, I think we did. I did rushing with with the yards per um, per attempt that you were talking about, and like it looks like those four quarterbacks that probably are going to go in the first rounds are you know, match all, all of those and will, do you ever run into a problem, whether it be with that or maybe even the rushing stat of like guys that aren't NFL prospects, like meet this, is there kind of a threshold of, okay, here's, you know, here's who people are talking about as draft prospects first, and then kind of taking that group and applying this, or do you ever apply it to everybody? And it's like, wow, there's some like, wild you know g5 guys or you know people that you just don't expect sure so there's kind of like with the it it definitely has happened but not as often as you would think actually and and what i've kind of found is is guys who have maybe slipped through the cracks like for example one guy who slipped through the cracks was tyler huntley he had a very good rushing market share and adjusted yards per attempt in college and he went undrafted but we see he's like a pretty solid backup at the nfl level um a couple other guys are and and what i've also noticed is college football as a whole is getting better at this like the numbers the baseline numbers are going up each year and we're seeing offenses become more efficient. So a couple guys in college right now who who show really well in both of these metrics are um, like Hendon Hooker, who returned to school. He's already 23, 24. Although there is, maybe this is wishful thinking, but there seems to be a little bit of buzz maybe going into next year. Uh, we'll see how that works out. And then the other one is uh, Malik Cunningham. Um he he put up a, a like a crazy efficient passing season where he was a part-time starting quarterback. Um so I don't really know how to handle something like that where he's a part-time starting quarterback. Um but I think both those guys are like guys who also are like fringe like there's a little bit of buzz about them and I think part of that's because of the efic- the efficiency they've shown. Yeah, I've definitely, you know, I like Ken Hooker. You kind of turned me on to him. And then I, I try to get Jim Nagy on our in the draft counter podcast to invite him to the senior bowl, but I didn't, <laughs> it didn't work out when he went back to school. I was, you know, I was pushed for it. But uh, yeah. And then Cunningham, Cunningham's interesting. Like, I think he flashed a little bit this year. So, and he could be that Tyler Huntley type that gets signed in, you know, undrafted free agents. So, um, so it's interesting, definitely something to to follow. Let, let's move to running back. Let's start running backs a little bit because, you know, Kane and I have debated on the show now past couple weeks, like pass catching running backs from Rashad White and Kyron Williams and last week on the, the rookie mock and that kind of deal. Um, what do you look for in running backs? So are we looking at, you know, uh, we always hear the the market share term in, in analytics of how much of a team's kind of rushes or receptions that they're getting. Is that, is that bigger? There are other things that we're looking for. Sure. Yeah. So I would say in terms of actual production metrics, it's, it's um, I use yards per team attempt, which is the running backs uh, receiving and rushing yards um, divided by uh, 
the amount of plays that the team's offense runs. So that gets kind of a, a sense of how productive the running back was to the team. And then more specifically, I use yards per team pass attempt, which I'm trying to remarket as yards per pass because it's easier to follow. So it's just um, receiving yards divided by pass attempts. So those are the, um, the production metrics. Now it's difficult because truthfully, the most important thing for running backs is draft capital because the most important things for running backs in the NFL is opportunity. It's getting touches and the way to get touches is like draft capital gets you touches. Not, not every single time, but that's generally speaking, that'll happen more often than not. Um, so that's most important. Now, if you're looking for someone who is like a game breaker at the NFL, like you're looking for a guy who's more than just your, your low end RB one or RB two, like your perennial guys who are solid performers, but nothing special just follow draft capital for that. But if you're looking for a game breaker, they need uh, athleticism, uh, height adjusted, weight adjusted, um, just being a freak athlete for their size. And they also need uh, pass catching ability. They need to demonstrate that because that's how you, that's how you basically exploit fantasy football scoring is, is through pass catching. So one of the things that we hear and, you know, and something kind of the one of the analytics pieces to receiving for I pushed back on a little bit last week was, um, you know, was in terms of receiving, right? Like Jonathan Taylor got this kind of knock for not being a receiving running back in college. Wisconsin was not really a passing team. Um, so, you know, like like I mentioned, I mean, he got uh he didn't, he didn't get the, that many catches in terms of pure numbers. When I, you know, when I pop on film to watch, um, to watch Jonathan Taylor and his final year at Wisconsin, and I want to see how many, you know, how many passes did he catch? Um, th- you know, that was, that was hard to look for, right? He got 26 catches. And so that's what, that's what I got to evaluate, right? I got to evaluate 26 catches for him. And, you know, when you talk about like a, a guy like Kyron Williams, who was on a much more pass heavy team in Notre Dame, um, you know, catching 42 passes, you know, then that's, that's something where like, Oh, I have more to evaluate on. Right. Um, so you, you know, you talk about like, it, it's really, and, and correct me here if I'm wrong, but it's really how much that team passes and how much the running back is getting those receptions, getting those targets, right. That's, what's important. So we have, so, cause sometimes we have these crazy pass heavy teams, like we said, Max Borgia, Washington state a couple of years back get crazy amount of catches, but the, I mean, team through 60 times a game. Um, so, so is that kind of what you're looking for? Like what's the percentage of the team, not just kind of this raw number of how much or how many catches do they have? Yeah, it's definitely the goal is to adjust volume, adjust every player, so that every player is essentially on a level playing field. Um, because like, like you said, the examples you use, if a player is, if the offense is just running a ton of plays and running a ton of passing plays, um, then they're bound to catch some ball. So it's all like, it's essentially like what percent of time, if you're an offensive coordinator, what percent of the time do I want to use my running back in the receiving game? Um, and I think that's pretty telling of of the player's receiving ability. So I, I think it is a key thing to not just take 
kind of for me to don't not, don't just take the narrative into account of like, hey, you know, this guy didn't catch a lot of passes, and, and that's why I like to watch the NFL Combine drills because I think sometimes you can see those guys that um, you know, someone like AJ Dillon, right, who didn't have a ton of receptions at Boston College. Um, but it was a point where, you know, Boston College wasn't throwing the ball very much. Um, I think he had 13 catches, but like, the, I, I don't know, no one on that team had 30 receptions. So I don't, I don't know. I don't know how Dylan fell in, in your, in that model, but he was someone that once he got kind of comfortable with the combine, like showed he could catch the football and guess what? That's what he's doing at the NFL. Um, so I think it's, that's important too. Uh, I don't know. I don't know how. Was Dylan was Dylan one of those players like didn't catch that many balls, but it was actually a decent chunk of that offense? Um, they didn't throw a ton of balls, so he showed up a little bit better. But he was by no means someone who you'd look at and be like, "Oh yeah, he's going to yeah. catch balls <laughs> at the next level." What right. I will say is, it's it's not necessarily a red flag as it is like a question mark. It's like if if we know like if they're catching balls in college then we know they can catch balls at the next level if they're not catching balls in college it's not necessarily like for someone like kenneth walker like he might have the skill set and they may have just not wanted to use him at michigan state in the receiving game um or maybe he didn't have the skill set and that's why they didn't want to use him the thing is we don't know it's a question mark and it's another variable to to have to worry about so and I think it's a good call. And I think the other thing you mentioned too that is important for people to think about is like the combine pro days do matter, right? Like that's the athletic numbers that we're using to to judge. And for the running back position, at least, those are things that we need to be looking at. Um, when you say like weight, like weight adjusted, size adjusted, what what do you mean by that? Um, can, can you kind of describe what that process is? How basically, how does it like differ based on how big these guys are? Yeah. So it, what I use is, um, is a weight adjusted speed score W A S S. And it's a formula that, um, takes into account a player's BMI and their 40 times. So it's like, how fast can they run at the weight that they're at? And, um, you want that number to be as high as possible, but it adjusts for, um, for weight because weight slows you down when you run. So it adjusts in that sense. But I, th- I think that's the big difference between figuring out if a guy is just a guy uh, compared to if a guy is like, like uh, is a freak athlete, a next level human that can, that can just uh, kind of change the running back position. So that's guys like Jonathan Daler, Saquon Barkley, um, Christian McCaffrey, although he was a little bit on the lighter side, he still tested well. Um, it, those guys are the guys who who you're looking for. Yeah, so so that's basically just to look at who the elite of the elite are going to be, not necessarily just good fantasy players, right? You can you could be uh you could be a little schlubby at the athleticism part if you get the opportunity in high draft capital, essentially. Exactly, and I think the top guys this year like uh, Brees Hall and Isaiah Spiller. I, there's no expectations for them to test like freak athletes. Like I don't, I would be shocked if either of them would. Um, but that doesn't mean they can't be like good to great running backs. I just, I don't think they have that ceiling of being like a top three dynasty running back because they might be held back by just not being a freak athlete. Yeah. 
Right. It's like the Dave Montgomery's Josh Jacobs of the world, right? Like exactly athletes, but got high enough draft capital. They've been leading backfields for years and you're good. Um, all right, let's, let's move to wide receiver. Cause I, I always, I always feel like receiver to me is where I lean a little more to analytics sometimes where I feel like I feel a lot better and I'll, I'll kind of start here and then obviously, you know, take it where, where you want this most important. But I think a lot for receiver more than anything else, we always hear about, Hey, these guys have to break out early. We want to see them produce uh, at the college level almost immediately or by year two. And you know, we want them to declare early you know, the, the Chris Olave um, conundrum, uh, you know, that hey, these four year, five year players aren't going to be, that generally means they're not going to be like high end fantasy receivers. Um, is that, is that accurate? Is that the main thing to look for that we see that production how, and how, then how do we know? It means a lot of questions at once. <laughs> how do we know how much production we need? I know that's always an arguing point too. How much production do we need to see um, ultimately? So I'll, I'll let you kind of take it, take it from my ranting of receiver questions there. <laughs> yeah. So I'll start off with um, kind of, production production levels that you're looking for and and the big thing for me is is adjusting the production um by experience so like your expectation for the amount of uh, of yards or of not yards but uh yards per pass or yards per pa- uh, team pass attempt um is different for a player's first year compared to a player's third year um but what you do want to see is you want to see players producing at a young age because that's very indicative of a player just being a, an exceptional wide receiver that that um, essentially doesn't have to be bigger and stronger and older and more experienced than their opponents to find success. Like they find success right away. Um, that's very indicative of a player uh, potentially being good at the next level. So um in terms of specifics, uh, freshman year or year one, um, I'm looking for 1.5 yards per team pass attempt or higher, um, which is not a super difficult bar to meet. Like if your team throws the ball 400 times in a year, you just that's 600 yards from a freshman, which isn't easy. It's not achieved often, but it's it's not out of the not out of the question. Uh, and then each year after that takes about a, a 0.5 increase. So you look for two in year two, uh, two yards per team pass attempt in year two, 2.5 in year three, three in year four, um, and so on. Um, so I guess the big thing to go off of that is you mentioned breakout age. And and the issue I have with breakout age and why I've kind of pivoted to that is that's a, a binary threshold, right? You either break out or you don't it's a one or a zero and um if you are super close to breaking out but you don't that should be weighted differently than if you have absolutely zero production you know what i mean like it's it's not equal in that production they shouldn't both be equally weighted as a zero um so what i like to do is i like to adjust based on that expectation that 1.5 freshman year that two sophomore year and um, kind of over time, see, are they over or below expectation? Um, so I guess that's more kind of easier to follow. That was probably slightly hard to follow, but it's easier to see on graphs. You'll see some graphs posted on Twitter of it sometimes of that production over time. Um, 
but it's really just it the bottom line the concept is you want to adjust or you want to perform higher than expectation at every level of of um your career so 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 that's essentially the, the dream right so that we have a player coming as a freshman get playing time and, and i think it's one of the things that makes sense you know like and and you and i have talked about this and i've talked about with other analytics people like it makes sense if a guy comes in and is really good as a freshman and beats out juniors on the team seniors on the team he's probably a really good football player <laughs> you know like like that makes sense so you know in in like you said we shouldn't just say is or isn't but um if a player gets close and then you're you know year two or year three we see them make that jump okay you know you can do that i know we, we've had a conversation on the discord um with you know some of the secret chopper guys and some of the other people of like you know, hey, maybe this could get muddied. You look at a guy like Jamison Williams, uh, say, from Alabama, who, you know, couldn't crack Ohio State. Obviously, we have Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave and whatever. Uh, but it's still early enough in his career that Alabama had such a good season. Like, is is he someone that still can match and say, okay, maybe it's not quite as strong because he didn't, uh, like you just talked about, didn't hit every single year, like that kind of step up. Um, is it still early enough that he could be a, a decent fantasy receiver or is he someone that we, we should write off and maybe not draft, even if he gets, you know, equal draft capital with it, with the Ohio state guys. Yeah. So that, that's a great question. And it's really difficult because he went from probably the most, he was in probably the most talented wide receiver room in the country last year with, with Wilson and Olave and JSN as well, starting to push for time. Um, so yeah, he didn't produce, but when you apply that context, uh, you can, you can talk yourself into him essentially because of that. And now he's gone to Alabama who they're not so shabby themselves. They have a ton of talent in that wide receiver room and he's absolutely dominated. Um, and not only that, like, so those are two things that are kind of conflicting. We have one thing saying maybe he's not good. Another thing saying he's good. But another indicator we have is the fact that the NFL has told him, Hey, you should declare, you should, you should leave school before you get your degree because you're a very good football player and you will get drafted in the NFL at a, at a high level. Um, so him being a junior, him declaring early is a big deal in terms of the NFL believing in him. Now, that being said, I struggle to move him super high in my rankings personally because he still was worse than Garrett Wilson. And he wasn't just a little bit worse at Ohio State, but he was Garrett Wilson was putting up a thousand yards when Jamison Williams was putting up like a hundred yards. Like their their production wasn't even comparable and they're the same age. So I think that's it's fair to compare as opposed to someone like Chris Olave, who is a year more experienced. So he gets um, kind of the benefit of the doubt, both from the coaching staff as an experienced player, and he should be better when he's older. Uh, that's kind of the base assumption. Well, let's listen one play real quick. Then we'll do tight ends very quickly because Kane's not here. So we're allowed to talk uh, tight end. So <laughs> is always nice. Um the, the analytics, I, I don't know. Dar I feel like he's going to be the the face of analytics for success or failure is David Bell from Purdue, right? Who uh, just monster years, almost every single year of his college career. 
um, and is unlikely to get round one draft capital, I'd say at this point, unless he blows up the combine, um, but probably day two. Where, where do you kind of stand on David Bell? Are you like super confident? Like this is going to be a, a smash no matter, almost no matter what it is, are, you know, are we, we outside of the, the numbers, like accrediting too much to him uh, from an analytic standpoint? Are we, you know, basically we like calling you nerds like Kane would say, and like, hey, you all love David Bell, but it's not actually the case. Right. Um, so, so t- touch on him real quick. Yeah, no, he's, his profile is nearly flawless. He's been very good uh, when you experience just at every level. He's above the number that you're looking for, the numbers I was talking about earlier. The one thing missing from him is he never was just absolutely dominant one single season. Like he's He was very, very good every year, but he was never like next level um, in one individual year. So that's that's not necessarily a red flag as it is just someone like uh, Traylon Burks was absolutely dominant. Um, So you that kind of stacks when you stack them up against each other, the the dominance shown is is nice. Um, That being said, if he gets round two draft capital with his profile, He's someone who I'll definitely be in on at cost, and I think most analytics guy would be because uh, uh, round two compared to round one has pretty similar hit rates. It's actually um, it's it's pretty similar for fantasy football purposes. Um, so yeah, I mean you're right; he's an analytics darling, but I think for good reason because he's he's kind of put that production out there. Let's hit tight end real quick. Uh, always a tough position to evaluate for rookies coming into fantasy. Usually don't do well for a couple years. Um, and I, I feel like, I mean, Kyle Pitts, best rookie tight end season ever. It just doesn't feel that great, right? Like didn't score that many touchdowns. So what, what do you look for for tight ends? What, what are you kind of shooting for? Um, is this position like, hey, for fantasy, we just need to forget about? Or is there something we can look at and um, – you know, maybe gleam some sleepers late in our draft that could break out down the line. Yeah, no, I don't think it's someone that you should just entirely write off, especially when the cost is cheaper on some of these guys. Like we don't have a, like you said, we don't have a Kyle Pitts in this draft. There's only been one draft ever that's had a Kyle Pitts level prospect. Like he's absurd. So I think we may have been spoiled and I think some people may potentially reach because of the potential of getting a good tight end. Um, so I guess when you're looking for a tight end, the number one important thing is athleticism. Um, you look at all of the guys in the past, uh, 10 years who have posted top three tight end seasons and, um, every single one of them has been in, uh, like a top percentile athlete at the position other than Zach Ertz. Zach Ertz is the one exception and he was seeing, um, he was just very unique for the position. He was seeing a ton of targets. Um, outside of that, guys like Kelsey, Kittle, Waller, um, I'm just Mark Andrews this year, all these guys are, when you look at their, their RAS, their relative athletic score, um, that kind of takes all of the metrics as a whole and, and, and combines them together. And all those guys that I named are, are, nine plus out of 10 in the RAS grade. So that's huge. More specifically within those, you look for uh, the 40 and the the three cone drill. And those are indicative of, of that athleticism as a whole, but that you also need to factor in 
uh, size and, and speed for that. And you mentioned relative athletic score. We had Kentley Platt, who does uh, runs a RAS website uh, on the podcast last year after the con. We might try to get him again this year. I'm having we're having him on the draft countdown podcast this week. Um, and I remember him saying on on Debbie Marketplace, like there is only one position where athleticism does not correlate to basically like uh, NFL stats and that uh, like NFL success, and that's center. Like center is the only position where like the the RAS doesn't have a correlation to NFL success, right? And Pro Bowls and you know all that kind of starters and all that kind of thing. So, um, so I, yeah, I, I think especially a tight end. Once again, another area where you've brought me over to the dark side. I guess now, I, I, like like it makes a lot of sense. You want you want athletic tight ends, especially like this past year. We saw how much tight end is reliant on touch, uh, touchdowns, right? Unless you're getting a ton of targets, like those top guys that you mentioned were, you, you almost need to catch touchdowns. And more often than not, it's going to be guys that are athletic that can do that or ascend to that top tier uh, and not have to worry quite as much about it. So um, I don't know that makes sense. But if you haven't checked out um, RAS.football, RAS.football, uh, you can see hist- historically – how these players match up. You search any, any draft prospect and what they did at their pro day or combine um, and get a sense of like, you're not going to find anyone with like terrible RAS scores, a tight end that are, are good. Yeah. And I think, I think something also to point out with tight ends is a lot of the top guys are day two picks. You don't need to be a day one pick. Like Kelsey was a uh, third round pick. Mark Andrews was a third round pick. Um, a lot of these guys are coming in on, on day two. So, this class, this 2022 class, I don't think we're going to get any day one guys, but we're going to get a bunch of day two guys. So um, if there's anyone who who tests really well, who is a really good athlete and goes on day two, that's someone who I'll take shots on all day in a rookie draft. I, I, I'm almost, it might be the position I'm most excited about for the combine, it, just to see like, someone like an Isaiah likely from coastal Carolina or Cole Turner from Nevada. Like if they blow it up and then get that day two draft capital, super athletes get the draft capital, decent situation. Like, yeah, that, that might be, might be my, my tight end premium, especially target. I'm in a ton of those leagues. So um, awesome. Nelly, you look, you, you rock. Uh, so <laughs> I appreciate you. I appreciate coming on bailing me out as a host too. Uh, so you know, I, I didn't have to come up with anything wild and you, know, you didn't have to worry about Kane calling you out for all the numbers <laughs> talk and how he doesn't understand. He like he he gets more, you know, he understands he's never gonna listen to this. He understands more than he think than he lets on. So don't, you know, listeners don't don't let Kane fool you. Um <laughs> we're gonna skip the history minute because Kane's not here. And actually the history minute today was gonna be something that he requested. So I'm gonna wait on the Talk of the annulments clause, which I'm sure everyone is, they're already clicking download next week to listen to that one. Let me tell you. Um, let's do our, our buy, sells, and unknowns, as we always do at the end of the podcast. Um, actually, I actually have a couple uh, NFL guys, and my buy, I mentioned this in the Secret Shopper podcast, but I'm uh, I'm, I'm going to buy Keyshawn Vaughn, the running back for the Buccaneers. I think he's the only running back under contract for them. With Tom Brady gone, I think it makes it less likely that they re-sign Leonard Fournette now, kind of in this rebuild mode piece. And there's a world out there where the Buccaneers just don't 
they draft, you know, a late round running back or sign kind of a dead weight veteran and Keyshawn Vaughn has a shot to be the starter on the team. Right. And you can get them for just a, a penny, like you know, last, last round pick in two years, you could probably get Keyshawn Vaughn at the end of someone's roster. So like, I'm just going to be tossing late round picks at someone. I think he's going to be better than what you can grab there. Uh, my cell, and Nelly, you're going to like this one. It's Gabriel Davis, wide receiver for the Buffalo Bills. Um, you know, and I think one one good piece of fantasy advice that I really haven't thought of till the, this year, and a lot of people have said this, uh, like I didn't come up with this, right, is, you know, the playoffs, the NFL playoffs are a giant lie for fantasy football, right? If Gabriel Davis did not have that game in the playoffs – in redraft leagues, he'd be going six rounds later than he is right out. Maybe eight, right? Like that one game bumped his value up in redraft, let alone dynasty, way higher than it should be. So I, I think use the NFL playoffs to your advantage. Someone like Cam Akers looked pretty bad. I mean, he's coming off an Achilles. I, I wouldn't imagine he looked great. Um, he's probably coming at a value in terms of what he could actually be some injury concerns there, but like Gabe Davis is one who blew up and now that's what people remember. And so he's probably overvalued. You, you see they could sign a receiver and free. They could sign a Christian Kirk, you know, they could sign an Allen Robinson and it would not surprise me. And now, now where's Gabe Davis. So I, I'm selling him where I have him now for what I can get. Uh, even if it's like a high second round pick. I mean, I'm, I'm in that all day. I'll take this rookie first round, second round class, um, you know, over those guys ultimately. And then um, in terms of an unknown stock, uh, I'll go to the rookie class. I'm, I'm going to say Wandale Robinson is a guy we've talked about a lot. Um, he's one player that I'm really interested to see the way in, you know, see height, see size. I think that's going to be important for him. Like, is he going to be Tutu Atwell-esque or is he going to be uh, – she's going to beat that threshold, right? He's going to be – he's going to weigh a lot more than that, hopefully. But, you know, how how short is he? And then, you know, how does he do on the field? I think he should have a good combine. But um, he is a player that I'm a little concerned. He could be a step slower at a small size, and that relative athletic score might not look quite as good at his size like uh, Christian Watson or like uh, even even – I even think Jahan Dotson's probably going to come in bigger than Wanda Robinson and probably run similarly. So I have some worries, but I, st I still think he's such a good, like wait, when you watch him, he's still really good. And so it's tough to get away from. So I don't, I don't know. I don't know what I'm doing with them, but those are mine. Uh, how about you, Nelly? Yeah, no, that I'm with you on all of those. Um, let's see. I'm buying Dallas Goddard. Um, I think that his peripherals are, are are good. His target share is good. Um, his athleticism meets those thre those thresholds I was talking about earlier. The issue is the passing volume in Philly. Um, but what happens with passing volume is it fluctuates from year to year. It's relatively unproductive. And that, what I think happens is either Hurts improves as a passer next year or they move on from him after next year. So. Um, I think the long-term outlook looks good for Goddard, who is might be the alpha in that offense ahead of uh, Devontae Smith. Uh, I think the target share is pretty close between the two of him. So I like him as a buy. Like I think he's cheaper than TJ Hawkinson. I'd take Goddard over Hawkinson, and I think he could get a plus there. Um, my sell is 
I, I talked about it on the secret chopper pod that we do um, through our discord, but I, I'm selling Jamar chase at cost. And that's really, really painful to say, but for someone who is the number one overall wide receiver uh, in dynasty right now, his peripherals just aren't good enough. His target share is only 24%. Um, he he vastly outperformed fantasy points or expected fantasy points per game, and that's something that no one continues that level of efficiency. Um, so he's just – I think he's a – don't get me wrong. He's an incredible wide receiver. Um, he's a very, very good young wide receiver and will get better, but it his peripherals are just – they aren't matching up with the cost. And everyone worries about Jamar Chase for T. Higgins, but I think it works both ways. Like T. Higgins is also getting 25% of the targets, and that's going to limit Chase as well. Um, so that's a painful sell that I'm sorry to so I'm sorry to say, but um, I don't know. That's just kind of how I'm I'm at on him now. My unknown stock is is Trey Lance. Uh, there's so much noise going on in San Francisco. The assumption is that they move Garoppolo and and Lance comes in and is the starter. Um, but the problem is he is like an early second round pick in startups right now. Like the assumption is that he's like really really good. And while I want him to be really, really good, and I think he has that, that like the mirage of a beautiful ceiling of of like six, seven rushing fantasy points per game, he might just be a bad quarterback. Like we don't really know, so I don't know what to do with him because of that. Because he's like the ideal quarterback prospect that I look for, but also he just might not be very good, and the cost is high. Love it. I, I'm, I'm with you. I'm, I've, I've never been the biggest Trey Lance backer, but fantasy, if he starts, it's good. Uh, we'll, we'll end there. Thanks, everyone, for listening. As always, if you can review the podcast wherever you listen to it, if you can give us a five-star review, type out a little message, say Shane's awesome, Kane's okay. Uh, no, don't, don't say that. Kane will get mad. Uh, you know, say, say that we're great. It'd be awesome. It helps, uh, helps us out. Once again, join the Discord if you haven't. It's free. For everyone, um, and then if you really like our content, you can uh, join the Secret Shopper um, aspect of it fairly cheaply um, if you want to do that. And then follow us on Twitter. I'm at Shane P. Hallam. Um, Nelly, why don't you give your Twitter account since I can't I can't say it right? Yeah, it's at Analytics, but Nelly is somehow squeezed into the middle. It's spelled A Nelly Ticks. All right, there, um, you, there you go. I was like, no one's, no one's going to be so we able to find that. Uh, <laughs> follow Kane at Debbie underscore Kane and um, Debbie Marketplace is why you can search for that. So thanks, everyone. Um, I appreciate you listening, and we'll talk to you next week. Kane will be back.